Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. My name is Leah Parker and we are here with Donna Otto and she's been teaching us for a few weeks out of her book, Finding Your Purpose as a Mom. Um, we want to, or I wanted to start by asking Donna a question okay. regarding home is holy ground and hospitality. It's, I don't know if this is a two-part question or if it's two sides of the same question. So I know you pretty well. I think it's a two-part question. <laughs> okay. Um, two things. I love setting up a party. I love the tablescape. I love the, the welcome. I love making my home feel um, open to people. I don't want to be there during the party. <laughs> I would like to go away during the party. And I don't quite under... It's people I love. It's people that I want in my home. So how do I get through that, I guess? how do, what, 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 what should I change about my point of reference to... That's very good. Yes, that's good. You're taking responsibility for it. That's very good. Um, if there were all the people who are listening were in a room right now, and I said, could you raise your hand if you agree with Leah? I, I tell you, 75% oh, of us would do that good. because I think that's a part of it. I, I'm going to say the obvious thing very first, and you will disagree okay? because it's so obvious and because I think we don't like it. And it was the first thing that someone said to me when I asked a similar question. <laughs> what I said, though, was, I like all of that, but I just don't like the people. <laughs> and my mentor said, well, that's very revealing. <laughs> but, but what I really meant was, I don't like interfacing with the people and being responsible mm. for getting it ready and then making sure that all of the people have what they want. Mm. So her point to me, her point to me, which was a good point, was um, I was tired. Mm. And I, I know myself in those years, it was overkill. I did way more than I needed to. Um, and I love this definition, which has only come into my life in the last year. Hospitality is really about letting ourselves love and be loved. Mm. That's a, uh, Hospitality is love. Letting myself love and be loved. And I cannot, I, really, I don't cook with people very often because if you're in my kitchen and I'm trying to actually get something cooked, I'm sorry, I don't have time for chitter-chatter with you. I can't, my brain does something, so I don't do that anymore. But I did change some of my preparations. And I also did something, which is really amusing to me, because my mother, which is probably where I, you know, from the depth learned it, she hated having people at the house. Uh, every three years she had to have Christmas Eve, and she would wait, I mean, Maybe someone would forget it was the third year if she could get away with it. And then she put the dishes in a box and she'd have to wash every piece of dish before they came and blah, blah, blah. And when her guests came, she was in the bathtub. She, that was a family joke. Is ass out of the tub yet? Esther was her name. And then as I grew into being a homemaker, I had wonderful advice about getting up when you're having a party, getting up, putting your face on, the basic ingredients of what you might be wearing, especially if it's just jewelry. But then when it comes time for the party, you're going to just touch up your face and maybe change your clothes. That was very helpful to me because then I didn't feel like I got last. But... I was tired because I had done too much. So I built into my schedule um, a 30-minute rest. 
it didn't matter what time I was planning what. I started at 30 minutes before, and David would catch me because he knew what I was doing. And he'd say, you're going to do one more thing because it was, you know, oh, I could do that. Now I have 30 minutes. But I really disciplined myself to do that. And it took away, it made me welcoming, made me want them to come. I also think it depends upon how, and I know you reasonably well, how you like to show love. Mm. So for you, how would you say is your best one sentence how you like to show someone you love them or receive love from someone? What's the ideal scenario? Um, I mean, if we break it down to the five love languages, I think it's a service thing. I I like to help people. I like to show people preference. And that's really how I show them. And that's how I like to receive it, too. Okay, so you see how that's in conflict mm-hmm. at a party? Yeah. You're doing all the serving. Yeah. Because they came to be served. Yes. So you get to do a little of both. I also think, if I know you, you, you prefer a smaller, for close for mm. close communication, a smaller environment is Correct. better. And a lot of people are that way. So when you're hosting a gathering, that's pretty hard to find. And feeling responsible for, this is my uncle who, he'll meet my friend from next door. Yeah, that whole thing. Uh, the hostess part of it. Yes. Exactly right. Well, yes. That's a good question to start this. Well, we have been talking out of this book. And you know, when you read the title, Leah, I, I forgot about that title. Um, I wrote another book. Um, about home life and orderliness, but uh, in motherhood, I wrote a book called um, The Stay-at-Home Mom, and this book was Finding Your Purpose as a Mom, and I really uh, forgot that title. That was really my heart. We get so divided and think that's what the mom role is, and I'm rather satisfied with what I put in that book as far as who you are as a woman and here at Modern Homemakers we've been teaching the same four subjects for all these years who you are as a woman who you are as a wife who you are as a mother and who you are as a homemaker so I like the separations of that book is that divided in divisions is that could you could you say what they are you have the book yes Part one, it begins with you. Yes. Part two, making your home a place of peace and love. Yes. Part three, making your home a place of growth. And part four, making your home a place of service. Ah. Well, that's the last session we're going to do, making your home a service. Um, In the next week, we'll finish this series up. And we didn't cover everything in the book. I, I do like those divisions because it sort of falls in line with who we think a woman is blessed to be. Many years ago, um, somebody wrote a song for the ministry, and here are the words to it. I'm obviously not going to sing it. It takes conviction, faith, and courage to choose to stay at home. And when we stand before our Savior, our legacy will be known. Unlimited careers, ours for the taking, like no other time in history, yet women with talent brains and beauty are saying home is the place to be we're women wives moms and grandmoms we're keepers of the home god has given us good work to accomplish and he promises us we're not alone no one else can do what you do you are the perfect choice and though some days our hearts grow weary 
God turns our sacrifice to joy. The home you're creating really matters. You're passing on a legacy. Four generations will reap the benefits of your intentionality. Being a homemaker by choice is a courageous choice to make. So join the many women choosing home. Future generations are at stake. And I reread that in the time since we were last together to um, podcast. And I thought, we we are homemakers by choice. Uh, we were, um, no, we were homemakers by choice. We are modern homemakers. And the first book I wrote on motherhood was The Stay-at-Home Mom. And that was in the late 80s, early 90s. And I still remember my publisher coming to me and asking me if I would write that book. Now, that was the second book I'd written. The first book I was asked to write, too. So all of you who are listening, who are dying to write a book, you say, what is that auto woman doing to get her publisher to ask her for two books? And I was stunned because the climate in the 80s and early 90s was equal to the climate is now about the fact that anybody can watch our children, anybody. And the only difference now is that the economics are worse now than they used to be. Uh, It's harder to make a living. Mm -hmm. It's harder for families to live even reasonably, much less uh, with any luxury in this culture. So I recognize that making the choice to stay at home is a difficult one, but I always want to say it's one you make for one period in your life. It's a huge sacrifice in many areas, but it is also giving you an opportunity to create children that you and your husband or you alone would like to see created and formed to contribute to our culture. So today I want to talk about two more spaces in uh, your home. And the first one I'm going to talk about is the bathroom, because this is the room uh, that gets a lot of use and you're not totally in charge of it. Maybe you have more than one, and maybe one of those bathrooms is a bathroom that guests use. But um, having um, a home that is open to people, providing a place that is a peaceful place. And today, as I talk about the bathroom and the bedroom, I I want to say that Tom Howard, he throws a wrench in my thinking, maybe yours. He suggests we open wide the bathroom activities and make it the central part of the house, as it is essential for most of us, and certainly for healthy ones. Yet we hide our bathrooms, don't we? At least behind closed doors, we do what's in the bathroom. Now, Tom was not suggesting that we had the facility open for a few view, but his point is a good one. And I, I take it to say, does this, does this perhaps help you think about what goes on in the bathroom as a healthy place? Um, it's not a place of secrecy. It's not a place of, um, I need to be in here alone because I'm doing things I don't want anyone else to know. It's a place where we go to actually perform some physical duties that are essential to us and, um, a, a place of being free to bathe luxuriously, clean ourselves, find some rest in a tub or refresh, refreshment in a shower. I have a young friend who, when her children were little, uh, 
grade school children. She had all her screens in one room and they were all facing out. That was new to me because I was new to screens. And she she said it's just the way of keeping the temptation away. And uh, research, research tells us that boys and girls alike are interested in their own physicality and that the bathroom is often the only place they can go to be private. Um, so make sure that the bathroom is private to an extent, but not so private that children might do things in that room they would not do any other place. Um, I was thinking also about um, my friend Elizabeth Elliott, who was a missionary in Ecuador. And the Ecuadorian tribe that she worked with considered themselves naked if they did not have a string around their waist. Okay, did, did you hear me a string? Not a ribbon, but a string. And when you see the pictures of them, they are t completely naked, except they have this little string around their waist. And that, so it isn't, it isn't a standard that's equal around the world. And I think some cultures do better uh, with the physicality than others. Now, we certainly know that there's epidemics for pornography, and part of what we talked about when we were together last time was nothing good happens after 9 o'clock on the telephones, and that's uh, small children being engaged. I talked to someone um, by the phone just in this last week who told her daughter told her that she and a friend got their telephones, it was after nine o'clock, and they were whatever, random looking around, and they found someone on the telephone who told them to lift their shirts up. Mm. And the little girls did it. Uh, now, you can blame that man all you want, but the truth is we need to protect our children from those kinds of people. Mm -hmm. um, in Eden, there was no necessary reason for being covered. They did not have hats or gloves or aprons. Uh, they were naked until they found that there was something they had to hide from. So the bathroom is a place where it's great to be naked. It's great to be seen by the Lord in our nakedness. It's great uh, for couples to shower together or tub together. It's great for mamas to engage with their little children and their little people and teaching them how to wash certain parts of their body. Uh, all of these things are a privilege that we get to do in relationship to our children in the privacy of our home. I also think we need to be reminded that the bathroom is really a place, a gift place. Many times women say to me, I don't have a prayer closet like you do, or I don't have, I have seven children, we have every space. Yes, I know many families. Well, that is the one place that the bathroom can be a no zone. Mama's going into the bathroom and I need 30 minutes in there, and you need 30 minutes in there when you take a bath, and Mama needs 30 minutes in here to be quiet. So set that bathroom up in a way that activities in there are understood. And then the obvious ones, keeping it clean, helping people, little people especially, learn how to use toilet tissue, how to use flushing of the commode, how to have a brush nearby if they make a mistake and they can fix it themselves, how to wipe 
about the shower or the bathtub. Your little people at two and three years old can take a cloth and wipe it out and begin to learn how to care for a space in most homes is shared by more than one child. And then lastly, home is holy ground, lastly for today. This one is uh, one about home is holy ground, the bedroom where the fireworks are or where your love nest is. So this is really sort of a marriage lesson, but not totally. Uh, This chapter is about where love resides, a place called home, where we become intimate allies. And I consider that the goal for marriage, that you are intimate allies. So the intimacy is always present. You don't use intimacy to get your point across, either one of you, um, that there are rules for engagement. And not today, but on a message that I've done on marriage, the, I think it's in a lesson called The Eight Essentials of Marriage, we talk about what a truce looks like in the marriage relationship. I also talk about the two P's of intimacy in that lesson. Uh, money is not manure, and that has a lot to do with your, your love nest, your home, your bedroom. I mentioned earlier that bedrooms are not for technology. The becoming a we, both as married partners and family, is about having some identity. And I am of not only the age, but of the belief that that space is really the marital bed space. Not just for what happens in the bed or any other place in that room, but that it is mommy and daddy's room. It is mommy and daddy's bed. And mommy and daddy do things together that don't include the children. That's a very holy way to communicate the sacredness of marriage. Um, So often I get letters from women who say, my 16-year-old daughter, who used to come into our bedroom just with great regularity, um, has just told me that she slept with a young boy. And I think, how do you get from a young boy's living room or basement or car into your bedroom or his bedroom, and maybe they didn't do it in a bedroom, but that that intimacy place has been broken. Because if you're teaching your children about intimate spaces that belong to, I love when my two grandchildren, well, I can't say I really love it. There are times when I thought, what do you mean? I'm the grandmother. Well, one of them will say, that's family business. What that means is that's their family business their mother and father and the two kids. That's their family. I so respect that because we are the grandparents. We don't live in that house. We don't know everything that goes on. And when my son-in-law was very sick um, with colon cancer, there were a lot of family jokes that were not appropriate to be told elsewhere, period. Colon cancer, if you get the drift of that. So the intimacy of your bedroom and the intimacy of your home sets a tone for your family that belongs to your family and it isn't open to everyone, okay? Um, So when I talk about the bedroom and I say fireworks, I think I don't have to describe that anymore, but the bedroom is a place that's full of beginnings and endings. We're born here. Often we die in a bed, whether that bed is in our home or in a residential care home or a hospital, 
we go to bed to sleep there and find rest. So it's it's a it's a place of restoration at least. A friend of ours, very close friend of ours, died about ten years ago, and. I was so grieved by the loss of his life and how quickly it happened and that he died in a hospital and we all were talking at our age about, well, I don't want to die in a hospital and I don't want to die here and I don't want to do this. And this is a sentence that I I know I said because it was recorded. Well, honey, if I get sick, just go and buy another pair of sheets, maybe one pair for every day and plump me up on the bed and invite my friends to come and see me. Pretty idealistic, isn't it? Like when you're sick and when you're grieving, grievously sick, um, even the notion that I hope I die in my sleep, you know, I don't know the statistics about it. I'd like to try to find that out. But we have, we have ideas about the bedroom and sleeping and resting. Um, I kidded my daughter for years that I'd like to have the funeral if they were going to have one at home and they could just lay me out on the dining room table. And my daughter just went bananas. Mother, how could you think of that? Well, I could think of that to give her a hard time. But home is a place of beginnings. We bring our children home from the hospital. We send them off to school the first day. We send them off to college or marriage. and They create their own place. And home is a place of beginnings. In the passage in the scripture that says, except a grain die, it cannot live. And the consummation of love, the beginning of life, the graduation, the end of studies, the beginning of a new life, the baptism, whatever kind of practice you practice, is the death of the old life and the beginning of the new life. And Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. One of the phrases I love about that account is that John the Baptist says, no, I should not be doing this. Like, he's, he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And how could he baptize the Messiah? Yet Jesus knew that he needed that rite and that ritual. <clears throat> and also, that's when his Father in heaven speaks to him. And if you read that passage, you'll see, <clears throat> excuse me, that it indicates almost certainly that no one else saw the Father. No one else heard the Father speaking to Jesus, just Jesus. I know that when I hold a brand new baby, I always think, oh, I think I'd like to have one of these. I'd like to start all over again. Um, that's not what this is about in any way. Uh, but I do want you to go through some of the processes that the bedroom is about. The young a daughter of my heart who has children of her own now and her first one at 20 years old was married uh, two years ago and I was asked to do a speech that I give on the veil and we talked about the veil and how this veil this thin piece of netting is down on your face when you're walking down the aisle I know that some generations don't wear veils that way but initially and there's quite a writing history to the veil but then when you pull the veil back to kiss your bride you have closed 
all you've opened all the doors there's nothing left that's private between you and one another this kiss is that physicality which will be consummated in the marriage bed so this begins with being one flesh the genesis passage their submission and surrender to each other and what a joy laying down your life is to create a new life it starts out that way doesn't it it always starts out that way and then there are places that breakdown and there's trouble and the image of God is smeared or marred and we mishandle the image of God as Eve did when we tr- when we snatch up some truth or some lie to exchange for the truth of God and he says that we are to be married to one man or, or one woman and that we are to pledge that relationship till death do us part and it's fraught with the anxiety about sex it's fraught with the intimacy notions it's fraught with the beauty of the intimacy the fear of the intimacy the recognition that the intimacy will or will not bring children especially if we're anxious to have children so when he talks about exchanging our lives giving our lives to one another till death do us part that's forsaking all others emotionally psychologically spiritually and yes physically all others i have <clears throat> heard many times people say it's just sex mm. it's not just sex no it's not just sex it was created to bring a bond between two people in an intimacy that there is nothing in the world to compare to it now you and i both know that our culture has has doing everything they can to change that attitude and they're stuffing it down the faces of our children and young adults and i want to say to you do what you can in your married life do what you can to show your children that you love going into that bedroom you light a candle that you spray a fragrance that if your husband gives you flowers you bring the flowers to the bedroom um <clears throat> as much as i trust myself uh david and i had this conversation one day and i said something about well do you notice that girl oh i probably was 35 years old you notice that girl who walked by and he said well of course i noticed how could you not notice and then we laughed about the ability either one of us would have would be to have another person in our life we we laughed saying we have all we can do with each other how could we possibly add someone else but the reality of that is that's easy to say if we're taking care of the relationship not only in the bedroom but the relationship as a total all encompassing first prior- priority of human relationships are there times when your husband is not first absolutely there are times when you have a sick child and you two are sh- taking shifts to make sure that that child is get to get well and you're not the most important person in the world and sex isn't something you're thinking about it but you have set apart yourself you've set apart your space you make the sacrifice to show your love and intimacy to one another and that is a very important part of the passage that said and the man knew his wife the flesh piece is very theological we are flesh 
Jesus came and lived in the flesh. The resurrection of the dead was about flesh. Physicality matters. If nothing else, we can remember the baptism and the Eucharist and the communion and sexual union. These are about practical physicality things that are centered in Christ. Centered in Christ. But conceiving children is not the only thing to be done in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Not the only thing. Giving one another pleasure. Calling each other to more intimate conversations and actions. (laughs) We laughed when we were first, very first married. This really happened. I, I don't know. I've never said this on air. Maybe let me think about that for 10 seconds. Yeah, I'm going for it. I'm old enough to do it, I think. But we had been together and had been joyfully wonderful. And one of us said, thank you. And the other one said, you're welcome. (laughs) We could never remember who said it first. But when I thought about that, I have goosebumps just now saying that. That's a sweet thing. That was a sweet thing. I suspect my husband said thank you first because he's sweeter than I am. But this is the joy, the joy of your life. This person is the joy of your life. This opportunity to be together, to be together, to rest in your bedroom together, to sleep in your bedroom together, to be sick in your bedroom together, to be frail together, to to do the things that God has called us to do with our bodies, to demonstrate our love and care for one another. So keep the bedroom in order. Keep it clean. If the house is a wreck, Make sure the bedroom is the first place you tidy up. Wash the sheets regularly. Now you can have beds that are hot on one side and cold on the other, sheets that are hot on one side and cold on another. But but make sure your your bed is comfortable to both of you, that there's orderliness and cleanliness. The bedroom is not an office. It's not a TV room. It's not a computer. I know we're so used to going to bed with all of these tools and gadgets. We're using our phone now for alarm clocks. I want to encourage you to try to keep your phone to be a communication tool. Get an alarm clock. Get a timer for the kitchen. Don't make that phone become so that we become so dependent on it that you don't know what you would do without your phone. The bedroom is a holy place. It's holy ground for sure, and it's where the fireworks happen in life, in intimacy, and in relationships that are meant to last a lifetime. Till death do you part, whether you said it at your ceremony or not, I pray that will be true for your marriage. Thank you so much for listening to this lesson out of the book, Finding Your Purpose as a Mom. Home is holy ground. Yes, and you can find it on our website, Homemakers. Nope, it's modernhomemakers.org. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. Yes, so go out and make today a common begin and the uncommon finish by making your bedroom holy ground. Oh, wonderful. That's very good.